So this morning we are in uh, Genesis chapter 6 again. It's been, I think, like a month since we last hung out and uh, studied this together. But the title of the series, uh, if you want to call it that, is Genesis, God and Man. And what we've been looking at is really Genesis through the eyes of God. And I think really getting a perspective that I haven't had before on Genesis is that how is this really, what is really the heart of God in it? I think a lot of times we, we view it from a distance, we view it from a place that's uh, theological. It says, oh, well, this is creation, and this is what happened to man, and man disobeyed God, and these are the stories of man. And yet God was there, but I think we miss him as the central figure in Genesis. And maybe even in the Bible, we, we pick up on the law, we pick up on the stories and the people, but we miss God in it. And I think that as we read through Genesis, and as we just take uh, a simple but not a simplistic approach to God, what is, what is your heart in this in this scripture? What is your spirit saying through these things? And, and not that this study is the end-all, be-all, whatever God is saying in Genesis, but really, God, you know, what do you want to show us through this? I think we see something um, a little more personal, a little more intimate than, you know, than at least I've caught on to before. I mean, you guys are probably, this is, this is old hat. This is old news. I've known this, and maybe that's the case. But for me, I really see God's heart, and, um, I'm hoping to see more of it because we need to see more of God's heart. You know, uh, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes because he said, you search the scriptures daily for in them. You think you have life, but you miss me that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And, and sometimes like we were listening to a song this morning, you know, God show us the way, but he is the way. A lot of times we're looking for that path, but we just need to see our father who's on the path, who's going to, who really is our way. As long as we're with him, it really doesn't matter where we're going. But we saw creation from afar in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we saw creation close. Uh, and then in Genesis 3, we saw the fall, which hit a little too close to home. Then we saw the people were scattered. We saw generations of uh, Adam and Eve and their children. Remember that guy, Lamech, trying to make a name for himself and, oh, how great I am. And, you know, then that was sort of it. And the Bible said, you thought you were the one who the line was going to come through. You thought you were so special about me, but that's the last recording of his line we have. It, it, God goes back to the real story. We saw Enoch, the man who walked with God and was not. He was taken. You know, we see it as a picture of the church and the rapture. We see men being wicked in the first couple of verses of this chapter. Fallen angels, a fallen world. But I think ultimately in chapter 6, we see God being sorry. Uh, we talked about being sorry last week, uh, last month, and what it was really like, and you know, and are we sorry or not sorry, or are we are we really sorry for what we've done, or are we ever grieved uh, for the things that go on? But as we start out, I'm hoping this came from the Lord, but I don't, I, you know, you judge it for yourselves. But are there artifacts of your old life hanging around? You know, we're going to get into the flood in a little bit. Uh, uh, next time, but we're going to see what let, what let led up to it. And uh, I'm always sort of interested about, are there antediluvian artifacts buried somewhere in the coal or in the oil? But are there artifacts of your old life hanging around? Are there maybe high places uh, that you used to worship at in your life before Christ that are still there? I mean, I think it would be obvious if you came from uh, an, you know, an outwardly idolatrous culture that had shrines and things where there's still a shrine in your house or there's still a monument to something in your life uh, that's not of Christ, and, and maybe you don't worship at it anymore, but maybe it's still there. 
You know, maybe you've still got that statue buried upside down in your backyard and you forgot about it because you're trying to sell your house once. I don't know. I, I hear Catholics tend to do that sometimes. But, you know, getting saved, and when I first got saved uh, a few years ago, um, really not totally understanding, not that we ever understand, but realizing that I was a new creation uh, and God working in me, um, I knew I had to get rid of everything bad. It wasn't like anyone told me, but uh, I remember throwing out movies, throwing out CDs, like probably thousands of dollars of stuff and, uh, you know, deleting websites off my computer, uh, deleting phone numbers out of my phone, um, language beginning to change in my life, um, really a clean slate. And I began to look for new things. I remember, sadly, I don't think it's there anymore, but the Christian bookstore or Christian living store in Monroe, I used to go there and spent, this is back on like CDs, like no one had an MP3 player. But, uh, you know, I'd go there and look through all these CDs and listen and try and just buy a bunch because I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I should like. I didn't know what was good. And I didn't know who these bands were. And so I'd buy all these CDs and or maybe I'd like a couple of them or like them for a while. Uh, but knowing that I was new, but not knowing now who I was. Um, you know, in a way, I still thought things could define me. Oh, I need to find the right, you know, not there's anything wrong with me going to look for good music to fill my life. I like music. But again, searching, maybe somehow I was thinking about it. It struck me last night that I was searching for some sort of identity in these things. And not that it was necessarily wrong. But again, I think it's, it was obviously an immature uh, reaction there. Uh, in some ways. And yet again, I think it's it was a very mature action because how many people still don't do those things if they feel led to by the Lord? And again, I'm not saying if you have movies or certain music or things in your life that I did and I got rid of, it doesn't mean that you're in sin and, and I'm more holy. It just means that God told me to get rid of those things, that these things were idols in my life that I get rid of. Now, if it's filthy language, the whole thing, or it's total garbage, you know, there, there's no, I don't think there's as much leeway there. But I think you see... Uh, uh, where I'm coming at from there. But old relationships began to be strained by the new me. I'm not saying I was the best new friend as a believer. You know, I was obviously zealous and foolish and, you know, probably overbearing. I mean, you guys could probably say that about me now. Um, and But some of these relationships were strained for a good reason. I didn't drink anymore. I didn't do drugs anymore. So there was, you know, hey, you're not you're the, the bummer at the party or, you know, why do you have to go to church tomorrow? So it kind of strained relationships in those ways. Uh, but there are other ways, like maybe I was a little too pushy about the rapture, you know, you know. But in other ways, these relationships that were used to be so close began to be strained. As much as I wanted to hang on to them, they didn't want it anymore. And and, and I understand that. And there were other relationships that I had to, to cut off that, that were no good. But I think that old things not dealt with will always pop up. If you ever feel like you're stuck in a loop in life, it's probably because there's something that God wants to deal with that you haven't dealt with yet. And he's going to keep bringing you through it like he kept bringing the uh, Israelites through the wilderness to deal with it. I can remember certain times in my life going, oh man, God, he just brought me full circle. Uh, help me learn. Help me get out of here this time. And God's like, don't worry, we'll get going on the right way. Um, but really, and, and he's patient with that. Um, but I think uh, I think we need to watch about, watch about that. You know, there's these seasons that are going to come back around in life. You know, but next time winter comes, did you use the spring and summer to patch the roof in your life? Did you use the fall to get the leaves out of the yard so you don't have this sheet of ice? You know what I mean? There's these seasons that we go through in life, and, and as we go through them, we need to be patient with the Lord and, and let him work out things in his time because sometimes, you know, it takes a while for fruit to show, and I think sometimes we're impatient. We want fruit to come right away, but when God's doing big things, 
sometimes it takes a long time for the, for those things to come to be. A, um, a sequoia isn't grown overnight. But when will we get it? When will we get it? When will we really believe and put the past behind us and move forward in what God has for us? And I mean that personally. I mean that together as family and as friends. You know, when are we going to move past these old hurts in our lives? When are we going to move past them? If Jesus died on the cross for us, isn't that enough? You know, I remember speaking to a family member, and I think that they meant well, and they, uh, I understand the heart behind it, but they said that, you know, I really struggle with forgiving myself, and it's hard to get past this because I haven't forgiven myself. And I said, lovingly, I said, that's Oprah talking. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. That should be enough. And I get the heart. I get the mindset. I've been there. But I think if believers, if we want to mature, we have to be willing to let go. And as I think it's been said, let God. You know, do we get that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that God's got a, you know, a loading bar in your life that only 80% of you has become new? Now, we have sanctification that lasts our whole lifetime, but really, you're made new. You may just have an old shirt on or an old hat on or an old habit, but the underlying you is brand new. You're changed already to let that happen and play out in your life, like we read in that devotional. But that all things in your real life have become new. The car you drive, where you live, the people in your life are not your life. Jesus is your life. And I'm not saying that we don't love these people and work hard and do the right thing. But these things aren't the things that, in the end of the day, define you. When you stand before God one day, it'll be, what did Jesus work out in your life? What did Jesus work through in your life? Because the rest is going to be burned up. It's going to be haywood and stubble, as the scripture says. But that we need to let go of the old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing things, believing, even believing who you are. Because we need to. Because we won't be free to move forward in our walk with Christ if we don't let go of the things that hold us back and leave them behind us at the cross. Paul says, I forget everything that's behind me, and I push forward for, uh, for the upward call of Christ Jesus, our Lord, because it's not this flippant attitude that I think some people only have. is like, oh, I just forget what I did, and it doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying. He's not being cavalier about it. He's saying, I have to forget it. I have to let it go if I brought it to Jesus. If I brought it to God, God has forgiven it, God has taken it away as far as the east is from the west. You know, I was flying out to Montana recently, and I was coming back from Denver, and uh, I forget if it was there or back, you know, it was like, it was a blur, but um, I remember looking, and I've never seen things so flat before in my life, and God reminded me about how far as the east is from the west. You know, a lot of times we try and run away, you know, across the vast expanse to try and leave our old life behind us, and what happens? It catches up with us, right? Because as people used to say, we are the source of our problems, right? You know, it's in, it's within us, and that's the problem. But when you think about how far east is from west, and God says, I've cast your sin farther than that away, well, you know, I can't see past the horizon line. You know, my eyes are getting worse the older I get. I can't even see it. And if God says it's far away, then it's gone, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to think about it anymore. It doesn't matter if I left the iron on or the, you know, the door open or the water running in my old life. It's gone. It's new. But we need to do that because we'll never be free to do the new things in that way. Um, you know, it's like having commitment to care before we can do other things. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with having these things, but sometimes that's it. You know, it's going to hold us back from doing what we need to do.
But physical debt is a little thing. A spiritual debt is the real weight in your life. And if you've got physical debts, we all do. Some are good, some are bad, and that's just life. But spiritual debts, these are the things we really need to get paid off of. And, and the good news is, is that they were paid off already for us. You know, we look at the nation of Israel in the days of the kings, that they had these high places that they wouldn't take down, that they wouldn't totally destroy these places where they would worship false idols. And when you read through the scriptures, you see that they eventually always came back. Idolatry always came back to the nation of Israel because they never fully dealt with it. They always were tolerant of it. They always said, oh, we'll, we'll leave it. We can do both. Or, you know, the stories about where they would hide an idol or hide goods that they stole, and, and God would have to bring judgment on the camp of Israel. Remember, uh, King Saul was supposed to get rid of uh, everything of the enemy that he was attacking. Uh, forgive me, I don't remember the, the name of the time, but he says he didn't do it. He saved the king, and he, uh, you know, Samuel comes in and said, "What's with the bleeding of all these sheep?" You know, God didn't tell you to do this. You know, uh, in First Samuel fifteen, um, I'll turn there real quick. You can turn there if you want with me. First Samuel fifteen twenty two. Um, you know, Saul thought, "Hey, you know, I, I, you know, God, yeah, God told me to do this, but." I think it might be better if I keep these two things a sacrifice to him, right? Isn't that what God wants me to do? Isn't that the right thing to do? Doesn't it sound good? Isn't that a good idea? And Samuel says in verse 22, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices, excuse me, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I'm not going to return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. It's too late, basically, he's saying. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Saul had great responsibility, and his great disobedience... That was it. There was no, maybe there would be personal forgiveness, but Saul, the kingdom was going to be ripped from Saul. And Samuel turned around to go away, and Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And you can go on to read more of that later. But, you know, was Saul's repentance and being sorry real or not? I don't know, but whatever the case may be, I don't think it was. If you look at the rest of Saul's life, he didn't let go of the kingdom, and eventually he was killed in battle. But his disobedience had a lasting consequence. There was no, oops, it's over there. You know, his position required um, full obedience. You know, and I think we're going to see that here, something very similar in uh, this chapter of Genesis. You know, that these things have, have consequence. And you know what, with that, we don't have to be fake. We don't have to be pretend to be someone else. But we must be the people... God has made us to be. Saul wasn't being the person that God had made him to be, to be the king, to uh, do kingly things in righteousness. Saul was trying to be priest as well and bring in these sacrifices and show grace. But as king, he had to protect the nation of Israel, and he had to do his job, and he didn't do it. But in these things that we must be God, excuse me, we must be the people God has made us to be, but in that we must be obedient. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's one way or the other. We're like, we try and be this uh, idea of what maybe we think a Christian is supposed to be, or we try and copy someone who's in the faith. And again, you know, we, we want to follow others as they follow the Lord, but it doesn't mean we're going to look exactly like them. But on the other hand, we, we apply greasy grace and we say, I can be whoever I want to be and do whatever I want and still be a Christian, and I'm just being me. But that's not it. 
that's not that's not what guys call this. There's a there's a middle ground there. You know, we cannot mix the oil of the world with the water of the word. We must not interpret scripture with what we want it to say, but we must come to God, letting Him say what He wants to say. And I fear in, in my life, and I fear a, a large in the church today, that we come to the scripture looking for it to say what we want it to say. We don't come to scripture and say, God, what are you saying in the scripture? What does the scripture really say about the way the church is supposed to be? What does the scripture really say about the way the family is supposed to be? And again, I don't think I have the corner on this market, but I know the Bible has the corner on this market. I know that 10 years from now, I pray that my life will be more sanctified than it is now, that things that I'm doing wrong now will have been righted by then. What I'm saying is when we come to the scripture, are we really expecting God to speak? And if we're really expecting God to speak, are we really wanting and willing to be obedient to that and let that flush out in our lives the way it's going to look? You know, no matter what those people think in our lives, no matter what even maybe our spouse thinks in our lives or what even we think about it. But if the scripture is clear about something and we begin to step out in it and God shows himself faithful and in obedience to it, well, are we willing? You know, we were in worship last night and there's a song about the cross and it struck me, you know, as we sit here and we think about Jesus on the cross, does that really scare me? Do I say as I'm looking at the cross, what does this mean for my life? Does this mean my life is going to end up on the cross? And, you know, again, not for my own salvation, but for the salvation of others, that God might use me as a picture and use us as a picture? Or do I look at that and go, yeah, I want salvation, but I don't want my life to be conformed that much to you, Jesus. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm looking forward to the day that comes if I ever get nailed to something. I don't know that I could go through that. It's, now I'd probably run away. But what I'm saying is like, is our heart, when we come to the Lord, willing to go that far for him? You know, and he may never ask us to go that far. He asked Abraham to go pretty close. He asked Abraham to go that far. He didn't make him go that far. But I think a lot of times, you know, um, you know, I asked a friend out in Montana, a pastor friend, you know, what's the weird doctrine out here? And I believe I shared with you all. He said, well, there's not so much weird doctrine as there is no doctrine. And I think that that's the problem with the church today is that we're weak because we don't know what the Bible actually says. And we don't, if we don't know what it actually says, how are we going to believe what it actually says? And, and how are we going to know what it actually says unless someone is saying, like it says in Romans? And we're going to get longest intro ever. We're going to get into Genesis. We're going to read the first eight verses here in a minute. But Jesus said, uh, I'm sorry. You know, I think, we, I think we've missed it. And like with Saul, there's only one outcome, and that's missing out, a little or a lot. But I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm just missing out on a little bit. You know, God maybe asks us to be obedient in a small thing, and we don't do that small thing. So we think, oh, it's not a big deal. But man, I think even in heaven, a little thing is, is a big thing. I mean, how much is a little bit of eternity? How much is a little bit of a reward of being in the presence of God? Like, I think, I think we lose focus on these things. You know, we're going to see the consequence of man's multiplying on earth without God. In their lives, God told them to multiply, but they did it without him. They increased in their own estimation, but it didn't bring them higher as they wanted. You know, we see all throughout Scripture, man trying to elevate himself. We see it today with humanism and man trying to be the end-all, be-all, to know what's right and wrong and be elevated and evolve into some godlike form. And that's what they want, but what does it do? It always brings them lower, brings them into more garbage, into more trouble. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. That's scary. Few who find it. You read through Revelation, you see the problem with all the churches. You know, did they all make it? 
I don't know. I think it's up for debate. Because we can be named of Christ, but what did Jesus say? Well, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we X, Y, Z in your name? And he says, depart from me, you wicked servant. I never knew you. That's scary. These people thought they knew God, but did they really? And I'm not saying that we don't. I'm not saying that Calvary or you know, Protestantism as a whole, but I think that there's, I think there's a lot of miss. I think there's a lot of miss. I think there's a lot we can learn uh, from Scripture, and I, I would assume you'd agree with me because it's pretty obvious. Um, but I don't know what I did here. I took two pages of my notes, I think. It's all right. All right. Let's read the first three verses here just to recap where we were. It says, Now it came to pass in chapter 6, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, and all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. He says, My spirit will not strive with them forever. And that word strive can also mean abide. You know, God was abiding with man. God, you know, we see... God show up in all these Christophanies in the Old Testament where he's actually going down and seeing what's going on with man. He's abiding with men. We know that in New Testament times, our time, the Holy Spirit is with us. He's striving with men. He's convicting them of judgment and righteousness and of, you know, that, that Jesus is who he says he was. But one day the Holy Spirit's going to say, it's time to leave. It's time to leave. He's not going to strive with man anymore. And we see that that's what God is saying here. He's not going to put up with this forever. You know, John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And I wonder, you know, with God being patient and putting up with man, I wonder if God is being patient with us as believers and putting up with us as believers and will there come a day where he doesn't put up with us anymore and begins to do a new work. You look at all these churches that did well throughout the centuries and then somehow lost sight of God, their first love. And then they're dead. Has God stopped using? Has God stopped using them? Yes, in a way He has. I mean, look at, you know, go around to most of the churches here or churches in Europe, and you'll see they're dead. God's not moving there. People go there every week. They might even open the scriptures. They might even talk about the scriptures, but God's not working there. God's not moving there. God's done there. Is God's spirit done with man or done with the individuals in that church? No, but as a corporate body, He's not using it anymore. Um, and I think we need to be wary of that these days, that God's like, hey, if you don't want to be obedient to me, that's up to you, but I can't use you, Saul, if you're not being obedient to me. You know, God is patient. He's putting up with man, but there must come an end. You know, Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God puts up with us. Because he wants repentance to come. Because he doesn't want anyone to die in their sins. And you can read uh, more of those verses later. Um, but it says in verse 13, I'm skipping ahead. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. That we are saved, guys, today. We know this. Because God was patient. Because God waited 2,000 years for you and me to even be born. And then another X amount of years for us to finally get it and say, God, forgive me. I'm weak and I need you. I need your forgiveness. And you know why? Because God loves us. God delays that judgment 
because he loves us. Not because he's up there just counting the minutes until he can wipe us all out. He loves us. He doesn't want us to be judged. You know, like with kids, you know, you say, all right, I'm going to give you the count of three. Three, two, one. See, look, they're looking. <laughs> they know right away, right? They're like, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. But that's the thing. I don't want to judge them. I don't want to put them in timeout. I don't want to discipline them. I will if I have to. And I hope it's not out of just pure anger. It's just, man, out of a heart to, like, want to fix things and deal with their sin. I can't let it go on. But I'd much rather just let them run around and play and have a good time. But there comes a point when I have to say, enough is enough, guys. Enough is enough. You know, I don't want to ever completely get rid of them. But if they're older one day and they're, like, in the mob sleeping in my house, I'm going to say, you can't be here anymore. I'm going to go to jail too. <laughs> you know, there comes a time when, you know, let us end. You know, and I think that there comes a time when love must act in order to still be love. At some point, love not acting is no longer love. Love suffers long, 1 Corinthians 13 says, in his kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. Love will suffer for a long time. And I tell you, even when love makes a hard choice, it's still suffering, even though it had to change the circumstances of that suffering. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that the grieving of the heart that loves ends. It just means that the heart had to do what was right. It had to react differently on the outside to still be loved. If not, it's just selfishness. It's, oh, I want this relationship to still be in my life, so I can't say these things. I want uh, this, whatever it is, to still be around in my life because I still want it, even if it's bad for them, even if it's bad for me. And that's not love. That's not love, you know. It's wanting to preserve what it has, even at the expense of the so-called loved one. You know, I look at abusive relationships or look at bad decisions in life and addictions and things, and it's, it's not love. You know, love makes hard choices because love lays its life down for those it loves. Love's willing to sacrifice itself in order to save the one that it loves. And God says here that the flesh can't hang around forever. You know, we've been talking about getting old and vision going and, and all these other things. You know, God knows that we're weak, that we're but dust, right? And God says, well, I can't let you hang around forever. I know you're going to die anyway. So this needs to be taken care of. Why let it go out even further? You know, we see the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. God closed off Eden because he doesn't want man to live forever in a fallen state. We see a tree of life in Revelation when man is uh, regenerated in a new life. And we come and we eat of this tree of life all the time. You know, we need the spiritual sustainment of our flesh is necessary because our spirit lives on our flesh is and we get a new body but we don't get a new spirit and so it's important that we feed our spirit and that we feed our spirit even at the expense of our flesh because our flesh our spirit's not going to strive with our flesh forever one day our spirit and flesh are going to separate but we see here that god starts the countdown he says there's 120 years and then i'm gonna deal with it even when god sees all this going on he says 120 more years 120 more years. Well, let's go on. Verse 4 and 5 says, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown, 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I'm sorry if I'm shouting at you. I'm just trying to talk loud enough. Hopefully, I can feel my voice going. But uh, <laughs> oh no, it's okay. If you're good, if you guys, can you hear me? Okay. Oh no, it's all good. This is ugh. fire and brimstone. <laughs> but we see here in verse. Thank you, though, Pig. I appreciate that. Uh, here's one of those. It'll be my excuse to get a colada or something later. Oh my! How I serve. Oh. Yeah, no. Exactly. Here's what the question is to die, right? Here's one of those parts of the Bible that gives a picture into the world, into the world. Weird. You know, it's like people watch the show. I haven't watched it, but I guess Stranger Things is a big show or something. But it's a show about weird supernatural stuff, I guess. Kind of like other shows that people are going to. But here's where the Bible kind of gives us a little window into the weird, into legends, into these stories of old. Uh, you know, the world's into weird things now, like superheroes and superpowers. And the Bible's like, hey, nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Well, there were some there were some super giants in the past too. I remember taking Latin class in high school. I took Latin two, three times. Uh, I passed by the grace and mercy of my Latin teacher. Uh, she came up to me at uh, my graduation. She said, "Oh, Tequinus," which was my Latin name. She said, "You passed with a 65," and she was like, <laughs> "You know, she was really gracious. She was a great teacher. I think she gave me a lot of grace. I think she saw in me that there was something going behind the school. Um, she had mercy on me." Um, but she was a little weird, so maybe she was wrong, but you see all these stories about these half men, half gods or half gods and beasts. We see in, in old, uh, old religions, we see lots of similarities, a lot of things like there's like flood stories in a lot of these ancient religions, you know, they also have like the earth is on the back of a turtle, which is on the back of an elephant, you know, they have a lot of other things that aren't right, but we see there's traces of truth in a lot of these versions. I'm not saying that, you know, to incorporate these things into your into your spiritual life. What I'm saying is that in these truths, these things begin to pass down and become legends. A legend of Noah with people who didn't believe God still told stories about the flood because they knew it. Um, we might tell stories even though we don't really know what's going on there. But we see these things. They have to come from somewhere. You know, there's a truth that there's truth in all. You know, there's truth in every joke, so to speak. Um, but when you read these things, you wonder, when you read uh, Genesis 6 and you look at these old stories, you have to wonder, is there some correlation here? Because it says, in those days and afterward, that there were giants in the land, that basically fallen angels came down, saw human women, I know, <laughs> uh, I was looking at my wife and she looked at the kids, and they had offspring. That there was weird spiritual things going on there, and they had weird offspring. You know, you can listen to Chuck Missler, he's got some interesting theories about there. I don't know, again, I'll just take this theory, you know, the Bible, where the Bible is silent, as Chuck Smith said, I'll be silent. But the Bible does give a little picture here into where things are going. And it says, in those days and afterward, and afterward. So that means after the flood. That means today. You don't think, you read the news, you see what's going on, you don't think that people are into weird spiritual things, into contacting weird spiritual entities. And a lot of times these things have like a sexual connotation to them. You don't think that there's weird stuff going on these days? Well, I'm not saying look into it. It's simple concerning evil and why it's concerning good. But they're there. They're there. You think the world is different today than it was back then? No? Well, it's different because it's more right for judgment now. But read the news. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Don't just sit there and be brainwashed by some agenda. But spend some time on YouTube. You'll see weird things, weird conspiracy theories. I'm not saying that they're true, but that people believe these things. 
There's only evidence of the times we live in. You know, Goliath was a giant. People were called the Anak. This word here for these giants is Anakim. You know, that there is a possibility that the people that uh, Goliath came from come from this offspring, come from this lineage. And then you get a weird idea, well, they're an angel, how do they have, you know, let's not get that far into it. Let's just take it at face value for today. But the Lord saw that wickedness was great on the earth. And I like that it says that the Lord saw it for himself. Like we'll see later in Babel. You know, God sees for himself what's going on there with Sodom and Gomorrah. God shows up at the angels. Abraham goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah himself and sees it for himself. He wants to know. He's he's not just going to sit back and be some unjust judge who hears like a bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. who hears what's going on and makes some arbitrary ruling based on who pays them. God goes down himself and sees what's wrong. And God says, man, I have to do something about this. I have to do something about this. You know, wickedness was great. And it was everywhere. And does that not sound like today? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 38, some of the scribes Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment for this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying, guys, Nineveh, one of the most wicked cities of all, repented when Jonah showed up. The queen of Sheba came to Solomon when she heard about the truth. Because she was the queen of a wicked uh, nation and she sought out Solomon because she knew that there was a truth there when she saw what God was doing in Solomon God was doing in the nation of Israel and she came to the truth and they're gonna rise up and condemn you guys and who's he talking to the scribes and Pharisees he's talking to the religious Jews that these wicked Gentiles had better smarts to repent when Jonah a guy who didn't even want to be there preached to you and Jesus is saying I'm here I want to be here I'm here to die for you and you don't believe me. Matthew 24, he says later on, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also were the coming of the Son of Man be. That's his return. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Right up until the day Noah put on his crocs and got on the boat. They were doing all the wickedness that they were doing, despite what he was doing. The two men will be in one field. Uh, I'm sorry. Enter the ark. And did not know... Until the flood came and took them all away. So also the coming of Son of Man be. I like our, one of our children's stories about Chuck Smith talks about the flood. And it shows one, one guy, rain hits him and he thinks somebody else spit on him and they get in a fight because people love to fight. So that's what happened. They didn't even, like until the rain started falling, they were oblivious. Even though Noah's over there building this giant boat, there's I-95 of animals lining up to get on it. And they're just like, keep going about their business. It says the two men... Uh, the two men will be in one field, and one will be taking the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taking the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You want to guard your house, guys. You want to guard your body. You want to guard your spirit and be ready for the day that the Lord comes back. Not that there's some works for you to go to heaven. But then when God comes back, you wouldn't be taken by surprise. You wouldn't be caught up in some worldly activity, and you get to heaven, and oh, 
What a waste of time that was in my life. And I could have been busy about my father's business. He says that two people are going to be at work, and one's going to go to heaven and one's not. That these relationships are going to be, people are going to be in the world, but then they're not. And the world is going to be oblivious, just like the people in New York. You know, when the rapture happens, I'm sure they're going to say it's aliens. I'm sure they're going to say Mother Earth cleansed herself of all these bigots. You know, there's going to be all sorts of things that go on, and that's what they're going to believe. But I think even more so than the sign of Jonah and Jesus, in a sense, is that in the end, in the times we live in, the times we've been living in since the resurrection of Jesus, the age of grace, we've been given that greatest sign of all, God's grace. His long-suffering, his patience, that God let Jesus die on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he still hasn't come back to deal with you and I. He still hasn't, because he has dealt with you and I. He dealt with you and I at the cross, and he's saying, come, come to the feast, come be a part of what I'm doing. And we've denied it. And God says that the ancients will rise up one day and judge the wicked generation. In the end, all the people who turn to God, even before Jesus showed up, are going to go, are you kidding me? You had the full revelation of God, and you still wouldn't believe it? You still wouldn't accept it? Even out of a selfish reason to get out of judgment, you still wouldn't take it? You know, people say, don't judge me. And I say, seriously? You'd rather be judged later than now? That's foolish. That's foolish. God says that they were only evil continually. God let it get to the point where it couldn't get any worse. That it wasn't 99% evil, it wasn't 80% evil, and God decided to wipe out the world. He said it was 100% evil, 100% of the time. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I think that we're pretty close to the world thinking and acting evil 100% of the time. Right? I think the church is pretty close to acting. I'm not saying the church, maybe you guys go to or whatever, but I'm saying the church as a whole, stuff that it believes, stuff that it does. Is it not evil? You know, I'm not going to get into these examples uh, for the kids being here, but look at these marches on Washington, or look at what's allowed to be taught in schools physically or spiritually, and yet the Bible's not allowed to be taught, where it teaches love and forgiveness, but religions of hate and murder are allowed to be taught. You know, I could go on, but really, name any topic of import over the last few years, last 20 years, 30 years. Tell me that it's wholesome. Anything that The View or that NBC Nightly News or Time Magazine or, you know, AOL or AOL, whatever, you, you know, whatever your favorite blogger is. Or is it really just evil masquerading as light? Is what they believe to be light and true not just evil? And I think it's obvious. And yet the Christians today, we walk around without any discernment, without any judgment in our lives from God, and we say, oh, I guess that's okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know what? We should be on board with that. You know, but I think it's really the church not trying to be relevant to get the world. It's the church trying to be relevant to be like the world so that the world would like them and not be changed by them because we don't want to be judged. We don't want to be separated. We don't want to be nailed to a cross. I don't want to be nailed to a cross. You know what? If that's what God has for me, that's probably the best thing for me, even if I don't want it. And yet, I think God still waits to bring judgment. God is still patient. Before physical judgment, we see comes the abandonment judgment in Romans 1. Men and people put God out of their minds, so he lets them to it for a while. But then their actions begin to catch up with them and brings judgment in their lives. 
You know, think about this. You know, your parents make you brush your teeth, and, you know, every day, right? And then when you're 18, you think you know better than your parents, so you stop brushing your teeth, start eating Oreos all day. At first, it doesn't bother you. At first, it's no big deal. Then maybe your breath begins to smell. Then maybe your teeth begin to go yellow. This is not my life story, but it's pretty close. And then, you know, maybe you begin to get a cavity. And then maybe you begin to get pain. And the longer you don't begin to do what's right and bring judgment into your mouth, the abandonment judgment begins to reap its way in your life. Your teeth begin to rot. They begin to fall out. You get into pain. You get, you know, all sorts of things. And so you could probably die from an infection or just have so much pain you can't even do anything. I think it's the same with God. God says, you know, people are like, why has God abandoned us? Why would God allow this to happen in the world or this to happen in my life? Well, have you abandoned God? Have you done what God has asked you to do? Not that your obedience brings salvation, but obviously you, you brush your teeth. You're probably going to get less cavities, you know, except for me. My DNA is bad. Too. No, <laughs> sincerely, like people blame God, but it's really God's left you to do what you want to do, what you thought was right. And now out of his, you know, grace is letting that come to fruit in your life now that you might turn back to him. And I think that's what God was doing here. He's, he lets people do their own things for a season so that they might see, and man, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about, but God does. And so God brings active, cleaning judgment when it's too far gone. Sometimes, like, we just got to pull that tooth. There's nothing we can do for it anymore except take it out of your mouth. It in your mouth. It would, it would help hurt the rest of you. Let's read verse 6. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Read that again. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The older language says repented. You know, God was sorry, but sorry to the point that he was going to have to undo what he had done because it wasn't working out. You know, like a relationship gone bad, even though maybe you asked them out, you had to break up with them because things were going bad. Even though you asked for the job, you went for the interview. It turned out to be a bad job. Morally, it wasn't just you didn't want to work, but it was just something you couldn't put your hands to. So you had to quit. You know, I think we should note that it made God sorry and it grieved him. It doesn't say that it made God furious, although I'm sure he has every right to be furious. It was his creation, but it said that he grieved him. He wanted things to work out. He wanted man to succeed. He wanted man to have a good life, a fruitful life with him and to have a close relationship with him and each other. But it just wasn't going to happen. He gave them opportunity. Man, as we read earlier, man began to call on the name of the Lord. There were people who believed in God. The truth of God was there. But man didn't want it. Man chose sin. Women chose sin. They chose to look for spiritual things in the wrong places, and they ended up rotting through and through. You know, you ever have a good piece of food in the fridge, maybe a leftover that you're really looking forward to, and for whatever reason, you keep forgetting about it, you get busy, or something else comes up, or whatever, and then you keep going back to it, and then finally when you go, oh, now I'm going to go have it, you, get, you open it, and it's too late. You can't just scrape off the top, you can't cut off the side, you got to throw it out, and it grieves you. <laughs> Man. You know, that's a simple, silly picture. But, you know, I think if there was a way to salvage humanity, God would find it. 
And we'll see he does find it. He finds it in Noah. You know, but I'm not going to make you turn there for time. But look at Ephesians 4.20 to 32 later if you think of it, if you want to. You know, I'm not the boss of you. Ephesians 4.20 to 32. But it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It says that when we sin or we disobey God, it grieves him. God's not angry at us, ready to beat us over the head. We don't, it's just God goes, oh, I have something so much better for you, and you don't want it. Like, why would you want that? You know, uh, but Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Uh, I'm sorry, you don't even know that. Until that part God looks to and fro. He looks over the whole earth. Who wants to know me? Who wants to see me? And there's other parts of scripture that says no man seeks God. So you go, well, how does that work out? You know, it's really God who's seeking us. It's really God who wants us to turn to him. We won't get into that whole uh, theological discussion. But sincerely, God's looking around the earth saying, who wants to obey me? Who wants to have a relationship with me? Who wants just the blessings of being near me? It's like, you know, I think as Christians, we're looking for rewards. We're looking for blessing in our life. Oh, we get to heaven. We're get, God's going to give us a crown. And out of the goodness of our hearts and out of righteousness, we're going to throw it back to him. No, when we get to heaven, God's going to give us a crown. And we're going to go, God, I don't deserve this at all. God, this is your crown. Why would you ever share this with me? You did everything good in my life. You sought me out. You forgave me. You gave me this call and this your Holy Spirit in me to do what's right with you. All my works are totally unprofitable to you. He says that, man, that we are, when we come to the real estimation of ourselves, we find out that we really are unprofitable. There's nothing we can do for God, and that's why we cast them back. And I think the church thinks that we're going to do this whole, like, oh, we're casting our crowns for the Lord, guys. That's not, it's man, God is doing it all. And God is looking for those who we bless, and, and the blessing is knowing him. The blessing is knowing that he's our father and that he loves us and that he cares about us and that we don't have to live with this sin in our lives. No matter how many times we mess up, he's willing to forgive us of it. He's willing to bring us far from it. He's willing to not let us sit in our diaper. He wants us out of it, right, Jake? Yeah. But that there was only one solution to sin here. That the Lord was going to destroy what he alone had created. He had every right to. You know, my kids play Legos. If Mia builds a Lego thing and she wants to destroy it, that's one thing. But if Jake wants to destroy it, well, that's that's not right. That's the same thing with God. If he wants to, if he makes it, and he deems it the right thing to do to take it apart, well, who are we to, who are we to stop him? Who are we to stop him? If we are involved in something that God's doing, and God at one point says, I don't want you involved in this anymore. I want you to do something else. Who are we to keep doing and keep building what he doesn't want to have a part in anymore? You know, I think it's sad that the animals were included, that sin affected them. You know, you see animals fighting and killing each other. They weren't always that way because of sin. And we'll see in the, in the end times, uh, well, after the end times, in the new heavens and new earth, that we'll be able to hang out with animals. The lion will lay down with the lamb because the effects of sin will no longer be upon them. You know, but, you know, God was going to destroy them too. And I think part of it, because they were something for man to rule over. God created man in his own image, and he gave man to rule over the earth as part of the image of God. That God rules over all creation, spiritual and physical, but God gave physical creation to man to rule over and care for as a picture of God, of their relationship with God. And we're, we're getting close to ending here. You know, I, I'm not saying that this is how God felt. But he wasn't just going to make a new humanity to rule over what he gave to 
the first humanity. You know, imagine getting an engagement ring for someone very special in your life. You're going, oh, I can't wait to go get married to them. Uh, you know, but then somehow after the engagement, the relationship goes sour. They give you the ring back. And then after a while, you keep the ring, you meet someone new. Oh, I think I'm going to marry this person. You whip out the old ring because you're thrifty. And, you know, hey, I already got this ring. Why not, right? And then you go to ask them to marry you and they go, they find it. They find out that you use this ring to try and marry somebody else. I think you're going to be looking for Mrs. Wright number three at that point because there's no way they're going to wear the ring. No way. I mean, unless they really love you and they're foolish, I don't know. Or times are hard and no one makes rings anymore. I don't know. But sincerely, I don't think God was going to do that. It wouldn't be special anymore. You know, God had to destroy that. You know, I remember having stuff that I got in many different periods of my life and having to get rid of it because... I would just look at the DVD player and remember where it came from. Remember what I was doing when I got it. My mind is weird like that. Ashley says, I don't I don't have that problem. Like for herself, but I have that problem. You know, I'll remember little things and it's like I have to get rid of these things in my life. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad I got never never got anyone's name tattooed on me. You know? <laughs> Man, because everybody's like, ooh, I have to have a lot of cover ups. But I'm sure that no one would have done that for me because I'm not I'm not worth it. You know, don't get my name tattooed on you. And I don't know where we're going with that. But other fact that God saw the world, saw creation, he had to get rid of all of it. Because all of it was part of his plan for man. All of it was part of his relationship with man. And how to bless man and how to show man his heart for them. And he had to get rid of it all because it was all affected by man's sin. He had to start fresh. But in the midst of God's grief, God knowing what he had to do, God seeing everything going on in the world. Can you imagine that? You know, we read the news for five minutes, or like, I'll read the news of the day, and Ashley maybe read the news tonight. I'm like, please don't tell me what you're scoffing at now, because I just can't deal with it this time of night. You know? I've, I've shut down already. I can't hear anymore. I can't take anymore. I can't imagine what God sees. But as he's seeing all this stuff going on, there's no ah in God's life. There's no relief. There's no sigh of relief for God. He'd still have to bring judgment until he found one man that he could show his grace to, one man that would bring that ah to his life. Noah, that ah. See, I made more sense to me when I thought, but since Noah, you know, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, we see that Noah. We'll read later that Noah is a man who found grace in the eyes of God, not because he was perfect in his generations. As opposed to like he never sinned, you know, there's a, a different meaning to that. But that he was looking for God. Like David, a man who screwed up royally, he was a man that was after God's own heart. And that's what we need to be as believers, after God's heart. Not looking to be after God's blessings, not looking to be after God's mold that God has made some other man or woman in Christ, but to be after God's heart. What is God's heart in the scripture? What is God's heart for you and for me? Well, it's simply to be in love with him. And to receive the love that he's given us. And that's how we get it. The more we fall in love with God, it's only because the scripture says that he who loves much has been forgiven much. Sometimes we think the, the apostle John was holding you to the Lord. And now guy, he was laying on Jesus' side. He was always running after the Lord. But he, I think I know why. Because he realized how much he needed forgiveness. How much he had really done wrong. And that's why he was laying on Jesus' chest. Because he knew, God, you love me. Do you guys know that? I mean, I think we know that as believers, and it's starting to strike me more and more, 
that God loves me. God loves you. Like, I think sometimes we don't fully believe that because of experience we've had in our life with people who have claimed to have loved us. And because we live in a fallen world and we've had a bad picture of who our Father is in heaven. But He loves you and me. And if He loves you and me, and this Bible is, is what it says it is, well then, shouldn't we walk in it? Aren't we? More than that, not should it, like, oh, I have to do this Christian thing today, but don't we get to live it out? If God did these things in the Old Testament, if God did these things in the New Testament, isn't God doing these things today? I mean, sometimes we think God's not going to work today, but God wants to work. God's looking to and fro on the face of the earth who he might work through. And it's not through the pastor necessarily. It's not through the worship team. It's not through some ministry. It's through you and me. The scripture makes it clear that all these ministries in the church are to equip the church, that's you, that's me, to do the work that God has called us to do as we walk with him. You know, as we walk with him, it's not work. We just get to live out a life and relationship with him every day. And I know these things are easy to say and they're hard to grasp sometimes. But sincerely, have you accepted God's grace in your life? Have you accepted that God has made you new and completely forgiven you? And more than that, given you spiritual gifts to walk out and to live out. If you don't know what those are, ask him. He's not going to hide it from you. He wants to give it to you. He wants to use you. Did you even know that he was looking for you to give it to you? Did you even know that he's standing at the door, so to speak, and knocking? Hey, I know you let me in, and I've got a room in the back, but I've got more for you. God always has more for us. You think in heaven, it's, God's going to say, okay, <laughs> that's enough. We've had enough of heaven. That's, you know. No, there's more and more and more from here until all eternity. We get to taste eternity now. You know, we're free to receive it. And despite God's long patience, this is a limited time offer. There's a limited time we can be obedient, guys. Thankfully, I know all of you know the Lord. And all of you are going to heaven. And I'm going to heaven too because of what God did for us. But there's a limited time we can be obedient. There's a day that Jesus is going to come back and our ability to be obedient and walk out our lives with him is going to be over. And I hope, I want to look back at that day and I want to say, man, I gave up on all the stuff that was a waste of my time and I began to follow the Lord. And I'm sure I'm going to look back and go, man, I could have done more. It's like, you know, we talk about regrets in life. We talk about wasted years in our life. And man, a lot of the times these things hold us down. In the past 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, I've wasted so much time and it becomes this burden on you and me where we're not willing to, we can't go forward because it's so heavy. We keep looking back and go, oh, and it's keeping us from receiving what God has for us now. Paul says, I, let, I forget what's behind me and I lay hold of what God has for before me. And God has great things for you and I. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That those years that you wasted or maybe sin wasted or the enemy wasted or someone else wasted in your life, God can use you. You don't need to worry about that. That's gone. That's taken care of. Maybe someone else will, will look at you and judge you for it. But your Father in heaven will never look at you and judge you for it because he looked at Jesus and judged him for it. And if God judged Jesus for it, you and I are free of that judgment and we're free to walk in that. And don't let anyone hold you back from doing what God has called you to do. Maybe you'll never get a title. Maybe you'll never be a big a big whatever name, but does that matter? At the end of the day, does that matter when you stand before God and God says, enter in to your father's rest, my good and faithful servant. And you know what? I guarantee a lot of those guys who have big names, who have big ministries, they're not going to enter into as big a reward as you and me who work faithfully and share the gospel faithfully with your family and friends. You know, it's easier to go. It's easier to go to a far place and do it than it is to do it to a near place. But you know what? We have freedom in that. It's not a burden to do it. It should never be a burden to do it because God doesn't want to burden you. God has no business burdening you. He doesn't have chores for you to do. He can do it without you. In fact, he is doing it already without you. 
He just wants you to be a part of what he's doing, right? Like, I want my kids to hang out with me. I'm already doing it. I just want them there with me because I love them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Father, thank you for this time together. God, more than that, thank you for uh, the time with you that, God, you gave your life for us. And, God, you were willing to uh, lay it down for us. That you have cast our sin as far as Jesus from the west. And we need to lay hold of that, not to name it and claim it for our own sake, for a Ferrari, but that we might name it and claim it, that we might get that spiritual Ferrari, that time with you, that, God, we might know your heart better, that we might lay our head on you and hear your heartbeat and know just how much you love us. And from that love, God, would you send us, would you use us in these last days? Would you find faith on the earth when you return uh, in us? And uh, bless the churches in the area, those that are dead, resurrect them. Uh, the believers who are struggling, give them freedom. Uh, be with the pastors and be with uh, the community. But again, God, we love you. We ask that you would come soon. But uh, in the time that you don't, help us be faithful to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.